0: Hi and welcome to the Fashion and the Free podcast, the show that pulls back the curtains of the fashion industry to reveal what really goes on behind closed doors, as well as teaching you some tips and tricks of the trade. I'm your host, Emma Golly, a fashion designer, consultant and founder of Fashion and the Free. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Robin Dombey, fashion expert and executive director at Made Institute to find out how to get into the fashion industry without a degree. Robin is in the unique position to have had full insight into the many options available to enter the fashion industry. Not only has she been a designer for some of the biggest names in the industry, including Marc Jacobs and Urban Outfitters, she's also currently the executive director at a fashion school in Philadelphia, Made Institute. We managed to cover a lot of ground in this episode from discussing how to build industry connections to land your first job to perfecting your resume on an entry level application as well as revealing many of our own personal stories. And since Robin has seen so many success stories firsthand, I couldn't wait to get her insights and advice on how to get into the industry without a fashion degree. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I can't wait to hear your thoughts and advice on this topic today. But first, I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment.
1: Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for having me so yeah my name is robin dombey and i'm the executive director at maid institute which is a fashion school in philadelphia we're independent which means we're a little bit different than the big fashion colleges that you might have in the states or in europe founded by one w- wonderful uh, mm-hmm. ceo rachel ford and i've been here for about five years now but i also have a background in the fashion industry and have my own startup upcycle fashion brand called Blue Bangs as well and um, that I've been sort of slowly growing over the years since leaving the sort of corporate and like luxury fashion areas that I worked in and then more recently I've gotten into plus-size fashion actually last week I just did a sewing group with Sally Louise Polk who's a jewellery designer and together we had a wonderful group of plus-size people in the Made in Suit studio all talking about sewing and how we can adjust our clothing to make us fit better and how we can work with brands to inform them better as to what plus size people need and just generally more of a, like a hangout sewing group which was really really lovely.
0: So, yeah. Amazing which sounds like you've got a lot going on at the moment. <laughs> I would love to know how you got your start in the fashion industry.
1: Uh, so I sort of fell in love with fashion, as I think a lot of people do sort of early teenage years. Um, And I think I dabbled in sort of little workshops and I was just doing art at school. And I obviously studied in the UK where I come from and did a foundation year at Kingston and a degree at Westminster in BA fashion design. And after graduating from there, I was really lucky because part of that degree included a lot of internships. So I did internships at Alexander Wang in New York, and I did one at Lanvin in Paris, which was a really wonderful experience. (laughs) Yeah. And it really (laughs) set me up for success because then when I graduated, I was able to apply for a position as a graduate trainee, uh, just above an an intern, but just below an assistant at Alexander McQueen. So I was there for about eight months, which was fantastic, but As we know, a lot of fashion companies like that are very competitive. And so there wasn't much room for growth. And so I was very adamant that I wanted to come to the States and try and get a job here. And so I was applying, applying, applying for uh, jobs at Urban Outfitters for actually a little while. And it wasn't until I actually didn't get that job the first time (laughs) around that i uh, started to apply for different freelance things such as the one that i eventually got which was at mark jacobs in new york and that's how i made it over here wow
0: so how <laughs> did you actually go about getting some of those mm-hmm. internships and roles especially i know you had like an amazing story about how you got in there with mark jacobs mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. quite a lot of people listening could learn so much from some of the ways that you actually really went for it thought outside the box and and try to get some of these positions
1: Yeah I mean the first internships I did were you know with brands that no one really knew what the names were there was like 14 interns one designer and a studio manager it was like yeah pretty hectic as a lot of those sort of London internships are but what it really did was got the first name and sort of the recognition that I was like a good intern onto my resume and one thing I forget who it was that told me to do this but from the very beginning of very first internship every time you know, it was a few weeks before I was supposed to leave, because, you know, they're always sort of limited term, I would ask my manager or potentially, you know, another designer or co-worker to give me a written reference. And so this is something that I tell, you know, all my students and graduates that we work with, is that they're such gold dust, because when you yeah. have a resume, it's showing all of your skills, right? And it's kind of you talking about yourself. And then maybe they might ask for, you know, a reference, and they'll do a phone call later. But if you have it written and then it's on headed paper and it's got the signature and stuff on it, yeah. and I would attach those to my resume, um, whether I was emailing it or dropping it off somewhere, they just, I think, really helped me get in the door. I mean, there was a lot of other things as to sort of getting the connections and the right email address from someone that had had the internship at that place before me you know applying for a lot of different things on style careers I listened to the last episode and I love that (laughs) (laughs) because that was definitely where I saw a lot of the um, opportunities come up yeah but um, yeah those references really really helped and you know after the years I had like a nice little stack of them and could bring them around with me everywhere and so When it came to getting freelance jobs, it just sort of verified me as like a good employee. It didn't matter, you know, if the internship was just sort of folding and steaming things, opening pins and pin cushions. (laughs) They didn't, they'll never write that in the reference. They'll say how, you know, lovely they are and how good and hardworking you are. So, you know, it just sort of was a really nice also record of everything I've done it's almost like a little diary because I think when you're working so hard in these places you sort of forget everything you've been doing and so looking back on these references is just like a nice record and portfolio of my time there
0: yeah I actually kept on to quite a lot of my reference letters as well and I look back at them so like they're always done so like you were saying so beautifully on like the brand's headed paper and all that and sometimes you look back and you're like I really busted a gut (laughs) during those years and you have you know these letters to show for it and yeah I kept Mine, because i just thought it was a nice light little memento of you know a time gone by where we were Mm -hmm. interning and
1: (laughs) grafting well exactly like alexander wang i remember you know a lot of it was like sorting buttons and putting zippers into plastic bags and then running to the fashion district and sort of picking up things and they're not necessarily the most glamorous or things you would even want to put on a resume i might rehash it into saying it's you know being proactive or some other way of saying all those different skills but just getting that reference with the logo on the paper and just someone saying that you are you know good for a job and ready to be hired and you know work hard that's all you need it doesn't necessarily need to say that you're most creative because that's what your portfolio does at the end of the day I think your references and your resume are the things that sort of proving the hard facts
0: Yeah and I think those letters just if anything to an employer that's never met you before really is just confirmation that you're Mm -hmm. a nice normal person that worked (laughs) really hard and they really appreciated your work and you didn't do anything terrible Mm -hmm. otherwise you wouldn't have that letter from them so it's really just a a confirmation almost of your character as well as you know any Mm -hmm. of the hard work that you did. Now I remember you telling me something about when you were when you applied for Marc Jacobs, did you go up and knock on the door of the office and hand your <laughs> res? I feel like that's your story that you've said before. Yeah. And it really stuck with me because a lot of people don't think to be ballsy enough to go and do that.
1: Yeah, pretty close. I actually did that for Long Van in Paris. And then oh, also for the jobs I was applying for at Marc Jacobs. So I mean, Paris was a lot easier because you could just kind of hop on the train from England and get across there. And so I got the cheapest Airbnb that I could get. And I think I did have like one interview secured, but I took that opportunity all the other time, you know, for the rest of the days that I was there to walk around Paris and I Googled all the headquarters to see what the addresses were. (laughs) and sometimes they were there and sometimes they were not but I was walking around and I had all my resumes printed with all the references stapled to the back and I'd knock on the door and that was the most scary I think that's what set me up was because I was trying to ask him French and my French was really really bad (laughs) and so (laughs) at the time when they like let me in some of these places they were like well do you speak French and I was like and you and like they were like oh, okay <laughs> but yeah a couple of times they were like sure here's the email address or the the one time with New York so Mark Jacobs was because I was emailing agencies from the UK in New York to try and set up just the meeting with the agency and so I again booked flights out there and I met with the agencies and they had an opening at Mark Jacobs And I was really lucky. I obviously had my portfolio and everything together that I could go to those headquarters and meet with them the Mm. next day. It was really, really serendipity or good planning. You know, luck is good planning, right? But again, what I did the rest of the time was just in case, because I didn't know if that was going to work out or not. I did the same thing. I Googled all the headquarters and I went round and I think there was one like Anna Sui, I got pretty far in and like actually got to meet with someone from HR, Um, rag and bone, like they, I got in there as well. (laughs) And so yeah they were just like uh, sure like we'll take it and you know how often do they get a physical resume with some references printed on the back you know sometimes yeah they weren't there like I think when I went to Dior in Paris it's just these like huge buildings and there's like no front door that I could possibly find but you know it's just a bit of adventure while you're going around and you're sightseeing and yeah it's just a bit of fun and and why not try the the worst thing that can happen is they can just like not open the door and you go on to the next place
0: yeah honestly I think more people should have or at least try and find some confidence somewhere to really try and do things like that because these places must just get so many emails all the time they might not even have something advertised at the time mm-hmm. but by yeah, yeah. being physically present if you can be I know it's not easy for everyone Mm -hmm. to do but if you can Mm -hmm. and you're in an area that you're able to do that that's going to hopefully be you know physical in front of somebody's face I know somebody else um sort of during my experience I know somebody else I worked with that did exactly the same thing Mm -hmm. handed in the most beautiful packet with her resume and project pieces in there and it got their attention straight away she got the internship she eventually even got hired there so it just shows that some of these going going the extra mile here thinking outside the box a little bit does work sometimes, especially if you apply to enough places. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there'll be at least one that will snap
1: you up from that. Yeah. And I mean, the sort of dedication and potency of like putting an actual project together for a company. I mean, how can they really say no, when you're standing there with an envelope, you know, they, I mean, they've got to let you in or at least <laughs> take it. Right. And then, and then it's physically sat on someone's desk. It's so much harder to ignore than yeah. the email that they've got in their inbox. And yeah, of course, like this must be a pretty inter- interesting person or like they were able to be, you know, organized enough to and laterally think enough to figure out how to get here, where the headquarters were like, yeah, that's the type of skills you need as a fashion designer. I mean, I know when you're working with factories and you're trying to get connections, it's pretty much the same thing. You're just trying to get your foot in the door. And so they want to see that you have those skills. You're just kind of showing it from the get-go.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So... Today, obviously, you know, we've kind of talked about some ways that actually you can really break in. But, you know, our main topic is how you can work in fashion without a degree. You must have Mm -hmm. seen such a huge variety of students from different backgrounds attending your courses and classes Mm -hmm. at MADE. Do you see many of your students trying to break into the fashion industry or start their own brands? I'd love to know a bit more about some of the examples you've seen from from working at MADE.
1: Yeah, I mean, just starting off, like when I sort of left corporate fashion and was looking for other things and I found this school I really didn't know how good I had it when I was studying fashion in the UK I think we were so privileged one for the cost of what university is to be so yep, close to for such, sure yeah to such good <laughs> institutions was amazing the loans are so much better like there's just so many more things working in your favor not you know mentioning the fact you just get healthcare; you don't have to worry about that as a student yep. or or even pivoting like in later in life, if you decide to want to do it as a degree, like it's just so much easier. So I just learned all of this since I started working with these students and and learning that they were making this huge leap from a different career into something that they'd always wanted to do, and maybe had been putting off for quite a while. And maybe they already had a degree and they didn't want to get into any more student debt. So it was really eye-opening. And yeah, About 50% of them want to work in the fashion industry for another brand, and about 50% of them want to launch their own brand. And what I always say, of course, is you should really start by working for other people while you're launching your own brand. I mean, it's invaluable to work and learn from other people's mistakes and to really see how things are growing and to have that kind of backup as well. Um, You know, people have been running their own brand whilst doing freelance and even full-time jobs. For years in a really nice, happy balance, and so I yep. think that's a really, really good goal to have, and to also just like slow down the roll a, a little bit. To think that when yeah. you graduate, you can go straight into a full time job. I mean, some degrees don't even guarantee that, and so I think going out of it with a really strong portfolio and a resume, and sort of the ambition to go for the internships, um, positions that you want, and competitions, and all those sorts of things. That's the kind of angle that I gear our students towards on graduating is making sure that you've got all the documentation and yet the digital and physical portfolio to show all of your skills. Because that's, I think, what employees are looking for these days. I think four-year degrees are kind of going out the window, like less and less people are applying for them and less and less people can afford them. And really, they're not giving you much more than sort of the facilities and kind of encouragement to do your own thing quite a lot. I mean, I think of some of the courses and projects that we did in college and they were like you know so experimental and you're sort of running all over London for like research and fabric swatches and I'm just like well how much of that was the degree and how much of that was just us being proactive and just being sort of around a lot of people doing the same thing and getting a bit competitive like maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be within the university environment to get that nature and that experience.
0: Yeah, so when when you're teaching students that are trying to break into the fashion industry in particular, what are some of the ways that you, I guess with your background and your experience, mm-hmm. help them with that? You know, do you try and build up the skills that they need? Do you mm-hmm. work on a personal level with, you know, discussing how they can enter the industry, you know, the different avenues to go down? How do you go about helping
1: them? Well, for one for one thing, the portfolio is really my focus. And so We do focus quite heavily on sewing skills. And that's not for the reason you might expect that we, you know, think everybody's gonna end up sewing in the industry. It's more because we value the understanding of construction so heavily. Because once you understand how things are sewn and patterned together, you can make such more interesting designs and be so much more valuable from a production standpoint from a cost standpoint to have all of that understanding so we do start with learning the sewing skills but the way that our students present that in you know their portfolio in the industry is we do a lot of physical samples Mm -hmm. and I think some people think you know when you're going to interview you might bring your graduate collection in a big garment bag and and that's just not practical you know as I said I'm running around New York City so I'll have a lot of the students sew like a pocket or a sleeve or a placket or just these beautiful little square samples that they can pin into their portfolio, and it just elevates everything. It gives us this, this tactile feel, and you know we're yeah. all touchy feely people totally. in the fashion industry. <laughs> yeah. And you know if you're talking to a recruiter or a HR department, they've seen thousands of portfolios. They're probably going to see a dozen people that day, and so if you can connect with them. And be talking to them about your project and your story and your skills but at the same time they're like touching and feeling your portfolio and they're seeing all the lovely fabrics that you've used and you've got an understanding of quality that's so much more important than having a really flashy you know runway show or photo shoot because yeah. You're showing them literally in front of them. I understand, you know, right down to the stitch line how things are supposed to look. And so we make sure that those portfolios look really top-notch when they graduate to make sure that they can go to a job interview and feel confident flicking through it like it is their story and their personal history. And they can just sort of very calmly talk about all of their ideas as they're as they're going. So we do a lot of practice with that as well. We do a lot of presentations and and talking about their research and their inspiration and making sure they're digging a lot deeper than the surface level it reminds me of one other thing was um we use pinterest a lot of courses designers yeah. and we do you know recommend the students use it for inspiration as well but one thing i found after going to a few interviews or even starting to see people applying to our program and that the pictures they were using is that as a designer when you're on pinterest all day and then someone puts it on their mood board and their portfolio it's just lost all of its luster you know it might be the most beautiful image but you've seen it a couple of times before so another thing that we do is we make sure that the students are using our library and their own personal photography and research yeah. and maybe even going back to magazine tears to make sure that the imagery that's inspiring them and in their portfolio is also unique and it doesn't necessarily look like every top pin on Pinterest because of yeah. course it's coming up on your home feed because everybody liked it and so the algorithm exactly. is telling it to be there so you deliberately don't want to be putting that in your portfolio and it's tricks like that that I think help them just kind of get that edge against maybe everybody else that might be applying for the job at the same time.
0: Yeah, 100%. Actually, it's such a good point about Pinterest. I didn't even think of that myself. But you're right, you know, everything, everyone's looking at the same stuff. And so Mm -hmm. to stand out from the crowd, you have to think of some, some alternative ways. So what are some of the ways you might have seen your students that have, you know, don't have a degree in fashion? What are some Mm -hmm. of the ways you think they could try and enter the fashion
1: industry? I think some of the easiest positions to just start with and get on your resume to get experience and exposure is uh, fashion shows. You know, they're one day, they're one event, they always need a ton of people helping. And so I really recommend whether it's Philly Fashion Week or New York or London or whatever the local one or even universities are, you don't have to go to that university to necessarily help backstage. And that just gives you that first eye-opening experience as to what it all means to put all of that together. And then once you have that, then you can start applying for some internships. And we really love to support local Philly brands because
0: Mm.
1: you might have a much better experience working one-on-one with the designer in this very kind of startup fashion, as opposed to a big corporate place where you might be just kind of a cog in the machine, not necessarily getting hands-on with as much stuff. So we think that when you graduate, having internships is probably the first step, but some people... They're graduating from our programme, which is only 18 months, and that might not necessarily be for everyone. Some people might just have sewing classes or some sort of pattern-making experience. And so I also like to say making things for yourself is is a really lovely way to start and documenting it really, really well. It doesn't have to be a full collection. It can just be individual pieces and and making things for yourself is the best way to sort of test if it's actually going to work. I think a lot of students design these weird and wonderful things and it's not until they finally get to the point of making the muslins and the patterns and try it on. And they realize that, oh, if I was going to wear this, I'd want it to be completely different. So I think if you're preemptively making things for yourself, you're kind of like solving that issue for yourself down the line.
0: Yeah, totally. I actually wanted to add to that as well. I think if you're really, really interested, it doesn't even matter whether you're a designer, you might want to go for a buyer position. You might even be into fashion journalism, but trying to maybe get yourself set up on social media, You know, you Mm -hmm. might have a separate account that just purely focuses on that passion Mm -hmm. and your interest. You could take photos of things you're making, like back to your point of, you know, making things. It could be that you're constantly sketching and you're really passionate about that and you want to display that on Mm -hmm. socials. Could be TikTok videos, you know, anything that just, you know, if someone that doesn't know you is, you know, comes across your social account or perhaps you've got an interview and you want to show some of your work you know having somewhere that you can do that you could even get Mm -hmm. a free like a free wix site or you know one of those sort of platforms yeah that's what I
1: recommend yeah Mm -hmm. where you can
0: there's somewhere there that someone can rather than just seeing a resume with maybe Mm -hmm. where you've gone to school and any other information you have on there maybe having some sort of visible platform Mm -hmm. even if you didn't go to university or college or anything that Maybe some of the stuff you've been doing in your spare time gets displayed on that platform.
1: I think the website is the best idea, really, because Mm. you can have, like, you know, pdf projects that you're emailing but there's no way to sort of show the organization of all your projects like a timeline for people to switch in and out there's always like a size limit right if you're emailing these things and they're giant because they're all full of images and technical flats so the websites make the most sense And I, yeah i do think uh, wix is really good i think adobe has a platform for portfolios now where you can sort of navigate through it like it's a website um behance as well yeah one thing i also remembered was a lot of students have been enjoying assisting with photo shoots and styling. And oh, yes. although that's like a really you know fun thing to do and you're meeting models and you're kind of seeing this end product, what it's actually giving them is really, really good connections in the industry. They're meeting all the models, hair and makeup yeah. artists, stylists, like hair and makeup artists and stylists are just these people that no one really thinks about. They think they just rock up, do the job and go home. And it's so much more to that. And actually, if you become valuable to them, you become their friends. Like I said, if the students are making pieces and they're ready when when stylists contact us, they're like, I need to shoot something for a shoot tomorrow and they can give them a jacket. It's amazing the kind of opportunities they've got. We've had students with pieces on, I think it was Julia Fox and like Offset and people just because they were ready, like they had the pieces made. They've been experimenting and trying things on themselves. And and so it it was shown there on their Instagram and yeah, when stylists need things last minute, as they always do, they come to us and, and we try to sort of put together either little online wardrobes for them to pick and choose from, or students will bring things into the uh, studio and then they'll pick and choose from that. So it's just really lovely to sort of be a resource for the like local industry as well. And that's what we try to do is connect The students in in quite casual and conversational friendly ways to to those people that that might be able to just get them a little bit closer to the brand that they really want to work for or the people they really want to see their stuff on
0: yeah and similarly if you you know might not be a designer but you might actually just be really into being a stylist or you want to actually if you might be a makeup artist you know any of those Mm -hmm. things that's actually another great way of you know meeting Mm -hmm. those connections for those roles as well Mm -hmm. could be anything like that a fashion photographer anything you know those Mm -hmm. kind of roles especially at a fashion show you just get so many different people from almost all the roles in fashion so Mm -hmm. it's actually a really good like you said opportunity to make some new connections
1: yeah and there's Um, sometimes a lot of downtime as well you know when you're behind the scenes at a fashion show and a photo shoot a lot of people just sat around chatting and so what better way to make connections and make friends with people in the industry than to just kind of be there and assisting you might get to tie a shoe or you know button somebody up just a couple of times but actually it's the people you've met that are going to make the difference down the in the long run yeah
0: totally Mm -hmm. so with you know different experiences we've touched on a bunch of different experiences that you know we'd recommend to help build industry connections and potentially land their first job are there any others that you can think of that would help somebody trying to break into the industry
1: yeah I mean I mentioned that not everybody wants to be a sewer or a seamstress or pattern maker or even a tech flat designer that used to be the bane of my existence doing tech flats when I was in school (laughs) But that got me some really good jobs. I, I ended up with a really nice position. It was freelance, but it, I just felt like part of the team at the end of it at QVC for a, a long while, just doing technical flats. And wow. that is something that as a graduate, you can be good at really, really quickly. Yeah. If you spend a few hours as, as you would be sketching on paper, but instead you're in Adobe Illustrator, you know, just picking things out of your wardrobe and then sketching and sketching and sketching and just trying to get those tech flats looking closer and closer to the professional ones that you might see on Pinterest or, you know, the actual garment. Those are jobs where you don't necessarily have to have anything on your resume because you can show them, look, here's a whole website full of all the amazing tech flats that I've done. And that way you're at this really interesting point in a company where you're seeing all the inspiration coming in and you're seeing all the things going out to get developed. And so, you're not necessarily under all the responsibility of making the decisions about what's got to be made and sold and, and trends and everything, but you're hearing everything. And that's what yeah. I really loved about that job is for one thing, I could just sit with my headphones and, you know, <laughs> listen to podcasts all day while I was sketching, yeah. but also I was in meetings and, and seeing what was about to happen and then I yeah, I was just sketching on the computer the, the whole day and it was really nice and I got some really good freelance jobs from that as well because a lot of people want to be fashion designers or want to have their own brand, more importantly. Yeah, but they don't want to do those air quotes, boring things. I love them now, things like tech flats. (laughs) And so you can get into a lot of cool companies because they need them really quick. They need them efficiently. They might just need small changes. And the more and more you do it, the more you can build up a library of these sketches and it it takes you less and less time and and you can charge more and more in theory. So it's a pretty well-paid and pretty easy to get into job, I would say on graduation is doing at least technical flats, if not then moving into doing tech packs and things like that.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things I was going to say as well is, I know that this might seem really obvious, even working in retail jobs actually can help because A, they have events and things like that Mm -hmm. that you might be able to network. You're also Mm -hmm. getting first-hand experience of working with collections that are coming in. I know Mm -hmm. something I did when I was a lot younger, it was like throughout my teens and then sort of very early 20s, I was... Working for about six years at a bridal Mm -hmm. shop, and I was a Mm -hmm. consultant there. I learned more than I've ever learned before you know, about fabrics, construction, fit everything Mm -hmm. you can think of is actually an amazing experience. And I know a lot of people that are into fashion that go that Mm -hmm. kind of way just to get that learning. As I said, you can also make connections, you're meeting with all sorts of different people, you're also potentially working with seamstresses, mm-hmm. loads of different walks of life in that area mm-hmm. as well. So that's another good way of trying to slowly like ease your way into that industry.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. We have a couple of students that have worked for Free People, Anthro or Urban, mm-hmm. and it got the name on their resume. And then yep. you know they they did a couple of classes, or they put their portfolio together and they were able to either get an, an internship or an assistant designer position at, the headquarters. And you know, it's because they saw that they had an understanding of their branding, the aesthetic, the language, even, you know, when you're talking to customers and they're trying things on, it's almost like you're in design presentation meetings. And in some ways it's more high pressure, right? Because you're trying to sell something on the spot. Whereas when you're in a meeting, you can kind of talk through your ideas. But when you're right there with a person, you have to make sure that You are picking out pieces that they feel good in. And then you can't lie if something doesn't fit. Right. You know, so I think those are actually the the most interesting positions to be in. And I've done a few retail jobs myself. The most interesting one was a resale store. So we were taking in consignment pieces. And that was interesting just from my sort of sustainability interest, because you were seeing which pieces were lasting the longest and Mm. were kind of standing up over time. And also the type of people, pieces that people would want to buy secondhand. And that's kind of how I, you know, fell in love with denim because it made the most sense in that, in that sense. But it wasn't necessarily the designer brands that were doing the best in those stores. It was the pieces that were made the best and, and maybe the fit as well, like the pieces that were a little bit more size inclusive. Yeah, were sold better on the sort of secondhand market.
0: Wow that actually surprises yeah. me. I always would assume yeah. it's the luxury, no. you know, higher <laughs> price brands that technically do better in that market. So, thinking about some of the different skills that somebody might need to learn to mm-hmm. make it in the fashion industry, what software programs do you recommend?
1: So my two favorite ones are Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator. And so Photoshop you need to learn because It's the best way to make beautiful mood boards. I mean, you can make mood boards with Canva, you can collage it on paper, but it really has this extra element of being able to shift color, cut things out in the way that you might cut things out with scissors and create really beautiful presentations. Also, I remember one particular instance at Urban where I had a pair of white jeans and it was a photo of a pair of white jeans and the buyers needed really quickly to see what it looked like with a black and white checkerboard print on it, mm. and so we didn't even have a tech flat, but they just had the photo and they needed it really quick, and I could take, you know, a, a photo of a black and white checkerboard print, just pull it straight off the internet, drop it onto the top of these jeans, and they were instantly basically looking like what they were going to look like on the hanger. And they were like, oh, my God, how did you do that? How long did it take? And, you know, it wasn't very long at all, but it was Mm. a really lovely, quick way to mock up ideas. And so you can even collage with ideas in Photoshop as well and scale things up and down, which is really nicely. Mm -hmm. So I, I like Photoshop for that. But the program I'm using more recently is Adobe Illustrator, primarily because of tech flats. So being able to do those really quickly makes sense more than doing them on paper by hand because you can't adjust them as as efficiently if it's pencil and paper you're erasing things and then I'm also doing a lot of presentations on Adobe Illustrator as well because Ooh. you know there's a lot of sort of functions like aligning things and layers that are just a little bit more intuitive than using something like Canva and I know some people do their tech packs and things with like Illustrator as well sometimes so yeah it's good for yep, that too. I
0: definitely <laughs> do <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no I I think the only ones I would add to that, I have uh, other companies use InDesign a lot and I find Mm. that InDesign, similar to Photoshop, is really good for cutting out around images, Mm. making it, you know, like the kind of illusion that you've cut it out with scissors sort of around the edge. So it's really good for that. It's actually really good in general presentation. So if Mm -hmm. anyone is more you know, doing presentations for things, putting their portfolio Mm -hmm. together. You could be in the more like the fashion magazine industry. InDesign is what a lot of people use. So that's a really good one. And Mm -hmm. Excel as well, especially, I mean, you might use it as a designer. I personally Mm -hmm. haven't used it as much. I use Google Sheets a lot to do tech Mm -hmm. packs actually so google sheets is a good one as well excel you can also use for tech packs a lot of people in the industry do Mm -hmm. and similarly if you're a buyer a merchandiser for example those roles are somewhere where you're going to really be needing to use excel on a very regular basis so definitely Mm -hmm. try your best to learn as much as you physically can when you're applying for those jobs before you get into them
1: yeah, it's funny you said uh, Excel on like Google Sheets because I keep getting sort of weird hacks on TikTok on how to do these little functions <laughs> and I'm completely oh nerding gosh. out about them. But yeah, <laughs> definitely learning Google Sheets and Excel. I didn't realize, you know, when I was 15 and just in IT and completely bored learning those oh, um, me too. <laughs> functions. Although I do love color coding things and making conditional yes. formatting. <laughs> you know, creating some order on Excel sometimes yeah, is a little yeah. satisfying. Making things bold. <laughs> But what it actually does is it teaches you how to use like a database and it teaches you how to search for things. And those are the kinds of skills that you're going to need when you work at a company because they have the PLM systems that, to be honest, you might not ever touch while you're in school or even until you're at some of these bigger companies. But if you can use Excel and you can use Google Docs and you are even, you know, organize with your emails, that can actually be most of the skills that you would need to pick up a PLM system pretty quickly. And, and they usually have training, but just being able to kind of understand how to search for things and organize things in a structure and and the importance of how you type something in might be have to be really, really exact. And, you know, when we're communicating with factories, we need that for other reasons. But I think PLM systems were always really scary when you see those on um, job applications and and requirements. You're like, oh God, what does that even stand for? And I believe it's product lifecycle management, but I think a bunch of people change it up. I think just like when it comes to systems, you can kind of show that you are a quick learner by showing your expertise in those other areas and talk to it in your interview as to how quickly you picked it up or how much you love excel and then they're not going to feel so stressed out about you not necessarily having three years of plm under your belt when you graduate which is completely you know crazy that they ask for some of these requirements and i always think that you should just apply regardless and then just like figure it out when you're in the interview because it's always just like best case scenario that they're hoping for and not necessarily so realistic
0: yeah exactly and I think when you know I think bear in mind a lot of the time when these companies are trying to hire people it also costs their money in a way because if you've hired someone that actually hasn't got any experience on these programs they're spending the first three plus months training you up and Mm -hmm. so if you're almost like a self-starter you know you've already learned a lot of these at least the basics that you at least got your head around Mm -hmm. how it all works it's actually going to be a lot more beneficial for the company that's going to be way more attractive to them Mm -hmm. if you are in an interview and be like yeah I already know my way around this this and this you know especially entry Mm -hmm. level It just is music to their ears when they know that they don't have to spend hours and hours and hours training you up on something when they could hire somebody else who already does know that that software. Mm -hmm. And one more thing quickly I just wanted to add about Excel as well is Mm -hmm. that especially for when it comes to production, when it comes to buying merchandising, Excel is obviously perfect for you know calculations, working out profit margin, all of those kind of aspects. Mm-hmm. If you can try and get your head around that a little bit as well before going, that's always helpful. even if it's just working out how to you know work out percentages and, and totals and things yeah. like that on Excel, you know all those all those things definitely help for those specific roles.
1: Yeah, um, we try to sort of introduce our students in small ways to sort of the idea of adding up the profit margins and how much the labor is going to cost and the fabric yeah. and the yardage. We have a small sort of um, profit and loss spreadsheet or Google sheet that we use that they can plug in their numbers and just see if, you know, that affordable piece that is super luxury this like idea of like affordable luxury everybody wants to do but when they actually type in the numbers of how long it's going to take them to make it versus what they want to price it they realize they've Mm -hmm. got to boost things up a lot which is always a moment when you sort of have to say well yeah if you were going to sew this wouldn't you want to be making at least 15 dollars an hour and how long would it take you you know how long did it take you to make the jeans in your sewing class oh well you know, a day, maybe, well, maybe the person making the jeans that you're wearing or trying to sell should also be making that much. And that's why things cost that much.
0: Exactly. And then you've got things like, you know, you look at all the materials as well, and you go into that very quickly, adds up especially if you're working domestically versus overseas Mm -hmm. and that's the whole thing for another day but (laughs) (laughs) But, you know there's all of those factors to consider and yeah Mm -hmm. just teaching yourself on those platforms gives you a little bit of practice and awareness before before jumping into a full-time job Mm -hmm. so there's a ton of resources out there as well these days that would be so helpful for anyone wanting to learn in their own time or brush up on their knowledge it could be online Books, social media, podcasts. I find podcasts really useful myself. Mm-hmm. Are there any particularly good resources out there that you recommend to your students at Made that you wouldn't mind sharing with us?
1: Yeah, um, I obviously love this podcast, but I also love oh, the thanks. Business of Fashion podcast too. <laughs> um, I think I was like absolutely sort of um listening to it non-stop throughout the pandemic every yeah me too of like past designers um but that when I ran out of episodes I got on to I think it's how I made this oh I think you recommended that one to me too I love podcasts that are about building um companies and entrepreneurship because I think that's mm. so interesting there's another one with the founder of Netflix that I've been listening to that'll oh. never work that's that's what that one's called that's and that cool one's... I'd like to listen to that Yeah, that one's great because it is a lot of the ups and downs of building businesses. I think people need to understand that it's never going to be sort of a straight trajectory. One trick that I really love to do, and I started doing this in college, which is really nice to kind of look back on now, is um, when the new collections come out on Vogue.com, and you do have to create a free account to do this, I go on there and they'll show the most recent season, and I'll open up every single collection that I think just looks interesting into like a new tab. And then I'll, you know, maybe spend like a few hours in this, like every couple of months, every time a new season comes out, I'll just like spend the evening clicking through. And then every collection with something that I like, I'm pinning those to my Pinterest boards. And so it's a little bit of a more creative way of using Pinterest. And again, you're sort of pulling things onto Pinterest that aren't necessarily being pushed in front of you. And that helps me season to season, year to year, you know, category to category, like tailoring denim. I have all these different folders from different seasons that I can sort of look back on. And so that's a really, really good resource that I like to use that is free. Fashionary has some really nice books. Oh, I love the um, Fashionary books yeah there's one with like a gray cover but it's all about oh. launching your business it's really nice. I think I have that one yes I
0: bought that one uh, a while back and it's so useful even if you're already in the fashion industry yeah. it just it just helps jog your memory on a few things and especially if you're, you're not been in the fashion industry at all before it's so so helpful so I do yeah. I
1: completely agree with you on that one it's got a lot of lingo in there and like the five different ways to say, yes. you know, the one thing, the different companies
0: yep. we use. Well, anything that we're discussing, I'll make sure we've got some yeah. uh, some links <laughs> for everybody. I always think sometimes like fashioneditorial.com. Oh, yes. You know, those, uh, especially if people are looking for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Those are really good. So WWD looking,
1: is good.
0: Yes. The impression. Some of these, mm-hmm. the only downside I do find is that a lot of them are paid memberships. So yeah. I, You know, if you're not willing to put a lot of money into your initial learning, which I can't say I blame anyone for not wanting to throw down a ton of money at the beginning, you know, those aren't always best. But I think Vogue Mm -hmm. and Vogue Business... Uh, yeah. Vogue Business definitely has a bunch of articles that you could read that you don't have to pay membership for. Business and assume... fashion
1: newsletters are really good and I don't necessarily read yeah. all of them. I think you can only read like two free a month or something like that. Yeah. So you can get a good student discount deal on that oh, one. Cool. But you know, you can't necessarily have all the time to read all the articles. So I'll just like pick my favorites and occasionally read a couple of those a month that I think are really good and really good for trend as well and sort of what's Mm. going on in the industry and what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, they're really good. And I mean, similarly, you know, some of the resources you've got if you want to start doing the occasional class, online Mm -hmm. learning, obviously you've got Made, but There's also Mm -hmm. a ton of online places like Coursera.
1: Well, um... what I would say about is some of the online courses that you can take, is that, you know, you can watch YouTube videos and and there's a lot of skills that you can learn online. But I think one thing people forget is that real exponential growth that you can have when you're in a classroom environment or you're just getting that like one-on-one teacher feedback so that is why I have to plug Made, is because we do yeah, have teacher feedback in most of the courses like our online fashion illustration photoshop and illustrator yeah. and even jumpstart which you're a part of um, yeah. one of the industry modules is you get live feedback whether it's from an instructor that does illustration um, of course have one- One that works at Lily Pulitzer or, you know, our CEO, Rachel, she does the Jumpstart mentoring because, you know, she's helped launch lots of different businesses. And so, you know, you can listen to all the podcasts and sort of read all the articles and and watch all the videos. But once you're actually creating it, you need to kind of show it to someone and say, oh, yeah, good. You know, is this going in the right direction am I spinning my wheels because we can spend hours and hours. I think sometimes as a designer on your logo and then no one's really looking at the profit and loss sheet and so sometimes I think you need that mentor to just yeah. point you in the right direction you don't have to be in a full-time degree to necessarily find that person that can just help you make the right decisions and avoid some of the bad ones.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think when it actually comes to, you know, actually producing work, whether it be Mm -hmm. for your own benefit, for a collection, just for learning, et cetera, all of that you 100% should be, you know, trying to get in with someone like MADE where you can have one-to-one help as well, get some feedback, et cetera. But I think if you're just generally trying to swat up, on yes. certain things in fashion it could be some lingo you want to swat up yeah. on it could just be like you know hearing like we were saying hearing other people's experiences so far mm-hmm. whether it's entrepreneurship starting a brand like you were saying or just getting into the fashion industry itself for people to at least brush up on some initial mm-hmm. skills initial like you know
1: industry lingo etc but yeah yeah I think one of the fun things I like to do is obviously watch the uh, you know, Project Runway and Next in Fashion. I think it yes, are a the bit easy to digest favorite. program. <laughs> Next in Fashion is particularly good. There was just something about the way they had a bit more of the camaraderie of the Great British Bake Off as opposed to the scariness of the Project Runway ones. But um, yeah. I think, you know, you can get wrapped up in the glamour of it, but I like to actually follow those people on Instagram and see what they're doing day to day. Like Daniel, I think, came runner up in one of the previous Next in Fashions and you actually get to see... You know when he's doing new releases and how he's talking about his brand. He's done and...
0: really well actually. I remember really I followed his well. journey a little bit and we interviewed Yannick Zamboni who won Making mm-hmm. the Cut on Amazon yes, Prime yes, yes, and that was amazing to hear his story and how he'd gone from where he was to then winning that show and it's just so mm-hmm. amazing to see people's journeys within that. So yeah. yeah, if anyone else wants to get into fashion, you can definitely try and apply for one of those <laughs> shows too. That's another option.
1: <laughs> I think they're great. You know, just to put yourself out there and, and I think competition are, you know, another amazing free way to get stuff on your resume and to show that you're going for things. I mean, I think I did competitions, didn't win, or or maybe you just got through a couple of rounds, but you know, you could say you're nominated or you're a finalist and it doesn't matter. You're just showing that you're sort of putting yourself out there and trying different things and you get to put that project in your portfolio or on your website, you get to put it on your Instagram and everybody gets to celebrate it. So it's never about winning these competitions, it's about being around all yeah. the people and pushing yourself to kind of try something new and I love those well a couple of competitions sometimes they have um, internships that you can win at the end of it I did one for Max Mara I didn't win it but again I got a really good thing in my portfolio I could look at
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah. It's, it's about putting yourself out there and in front of people's mm-hmm. faces because no one's going to know who you are if you're stuck at home behind a yeah. screen you know if you mm-hmm. actually have entered a room where you're literally face to face with somebody yeah. that you've entered a competition for i remember i did that actually uh, it's actually just <laughs> reminded me when i was a lot younger and i was at uni i entered a competition to have my i think it was like my own collection featured mm-hmm. at debenham's under my own name and yeah. when i went in i i got as far as i went to the you know, interview thing, gave a presentation. And mm-hmm. I ended up not getting it because I literally only had a portfolio. I didn't even have anything made at that point oh. or constructed. But the guy liked me so much. He was like, I would love for you to come and work with us at <gasps> Debenham's eventually when, you know, when some position came up. Anyway, yeah. needless to say, I actually ended up getting a job at Debenham's anyway. He did. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't through him. But then I came face to face with the head of design who was there. And he was like, why are you in women's wear? I wanted you to work with me in men's wear and everything. (laughs) But he remembered me from that. And so there you go. That's like a a good way of, you know, making those connections, Mm -hmm. keeping in touch with people, just go for it when those competitions come up, because you never know where it's going to lead you.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely anecdote. And yeah, all the behind the scenes of those competitions, you're meeting people and the judges. We have a lot with Philly Fashion Week and the task force where they are doing circular And sustainable competitions with fab scrap. And so the students get given a whole bunch of fabric and they're making things. And just the documentation of it is is so much fun. And they have a runway show at the end of it. And yeah, you never know who they're gonna meet. It might just be that one a stylist that's just like I need that piece and I need it tomorrow for Nicki Minaj to wear and I'm speaking from actual experience that's what happens happens (laughs) to students and it's so cool when we see these things pop up on on social media And you're like oh my goodness I can't believe that celebrity is wearing that piece that I just saw in the studio the other day And, and it's just because it was ready it was done it was made well as well like I think a lot of people underestimate when they're sort of making things for the first time how long it takes to make these yeah. things um professional and so when it gets into the hands of somebody like that you want it to be looking good inside and out so that's why I always come back to the sewing is it's, sometimes it's a bit laborious in the early days but getting hands-on with your work is the best way to show that you understand it and that you're a really good designer
0: so mm-hmm. from what you've seen do you feel that there are many jobs out there in fashion that don't necessarily require a fashion degree
1: hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, being a stylist is a really easy one off the bat to choose It yeah. takes more experience and grit and networking and organisation, but you definitely don't need a great degree to do it. I think there are some assistant and some design positions that you don't necessarily need a degree for at this point, I think it might just be a whole combination of sort of the things we've talked about, and a little bit more time spent potentially in internships. I mean, I will say that I think unpaid internships aren't necessarily fair Um, I think I was really privileged to be able to afford to do something and not get paid for it even though I was working you know all the summers to try and then work all the winters at an unpaid internship doesn't make much sense but I think we're still in the place where it's necessary. And so I did want to mention you don't have to do full-time internships. Mm. You can just do one day a week or or evenings or sort of a couple of days a week or short-term or ad hoc. Maybe you're just doing it for events and pop-up shows. Those can be really good things on your resume that can help you get in front of the right people. Aren't there
0: some internships these days that pay? I'm pretty sure that Oh yeah, I would. I know that when we back when we would have been interns, Mm -hmm. that you know you were lucky if you got your expenses paid for half the time. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure they crack down on it these days. In that you you are supposed if you work a certain amount of hours or something, you have to be compensated.
1: Yeah, it really depends on the company. Some places say you have to get academic credit for it, which is tricky Mm. because then you have to be doing a four year degree, and so you're paying for a degree to do an unpaid internship
0: which mm. seems a little bit mismatched.
1: yeah. Um, And so I think it depends on the companies, but a lot of these smaller brands, it's a little easier to do these ad hoc kind of, you know, assisting positions that are like an internship, a little bit more informal. So I would definitely say don't sort of rule out unpaid internships or working for brands that you don't know the name of. I did a lot of internships at brands that no one would know of before I got the really big names on my resume. And like I said, it just proved that I was like a good intern, just Mm. to just to those people where they just want you to be able to sort of do a small task efficiently. And it doesn't matter if you're working for a really big brand. They need to kind of see proof of concept that you've worked for other places. And that could be not necessarily an internship. It could be your job in something completely different. Like we have students that have worked in dentistry, the medical field, correctional facilities, all sorts of different places. And if you can speak to how those skills translate and then you have a beautiful creative portfolio, It doesn't matter that you didn't have a four year degree because you've proved yourself in in other areas of your career to show that you're hardworking and maybe you're even a good manager and you just needed those, you know, creative design skills to come from somewhere else. Yeah, you can put the two together. So those are the types of stories I love to see with our students and graduates when they come from a field that's just completely different and alien or maybe they've been raising a family for 10, 20 years and they come back to the one thing they really wanted to do when they were a teenager And they come back to it with so much more dedication, understanding, maturity, creativity and understanding about the products and the people they're making the clothes for as well. It's far less like abstract and hypothetical and even couture, like they're making real things for real people. I really love those brands that the students have created because it's just so much more special when, you know, they've really worked hard for it and really made a big change in their lives to make sure that they can make it happen
0: yeah no I think that's amazing like you said you just got so many people from all walks of life that you've you know had the privilege of seeing their fashion journey and how you know there's so many different ways you can go about this Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. there's not just one solid way that you can get into the industry you can you can be passionate about it and come to it later in life you don't necessarily have to spend stupid amount of money and going to university (laughs) either which a lot of us ended up doing especially if you you went to college in the US. What I also wanted to ask you is a lot of students struggle when it comes to putting their resume together for their first job in fashion do you have any tips for how they can set out their resume and what they can include to impress an employer?
1: Yeah I think when it comes to uh, the list of skills a lot of people are sort of writing them in a way that's I think you can elaborate on them basically when you have your your descriptions of each of the jobs that you've done internships or even like certificates or short courses that you've done there's definitely a way to kind of like uplift your responsibilities the areas where you've taken initiative shown leadership skills and so I always try to make those descriptive skills areas look really really good doesn't necessarily have to be an amazing name at the top with the employer but if you can show really good vocabulary when it comes to that description Description that can be really helpful I think the graphic design is important I don't necessarily say people have to have their photo on their resume anymore or, or these days I think that's kind of up to you if you have a nice headshot that looks professional then yeah. yes use it if it looks like a selfie probably don't <laughs> um <laughs> but I, I definitely use Pinterest for that reason, like uh, graphic design for resume layouts. There's some really nice chic ones on there and less is more and less color. Don't do black backgrounds. Like I print these out now because we, you know, hire instructors and yeah. and students show me the resumes. Do If you have to print out a whole black background out of your printer, it's just a nightmare. So oh um, I just try to make sure that Everything's really readable. There's no funky fonts or logos. Definitely don't put your address on there because, you know, um, there's all these sort of spammers now that can get that from your resume. If you're uploading it to different websites, you can, of course, put like references on requests. But that's where I say I like to do combined PDF documents. So my resume will actually be attached to the references literally on the next pages. They might not be asking Mm -hmm. for my references at that point, but they're getting them. I think the state at the top is nice, but I wouldn't spend too much time on it. If it's taking up space and you can add more into your employer details, I think that's more important necessarily than than an opening statement.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on what, what level you're at. In your, I think if you are like like your sort of entry level maybe not so much but I know sort of once you get to a certain level in your career I think some of your achievements are definitely the things that they like to yes. see at the top so if you've I don't know yeah. made company a certain amount of money or anything like mm-hmm. that that normally goes right at the top I know mm-hmm. that um some people say if you're just starting out and maybe you haven't got a ton of experience to start maybe with their your education at the top. Yes. And then mm-hmm. if you're obviously way down the line and you've been doing it for like <laughs> 10 pluses, whatever, then put the education right down at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's normally whatever's most relevant at that time you're applying and you have to face that that you're going to have to edit that resume throughout your career journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're, doing a degree right now or a certificate or just taking classes that is your education and that can basically be as chunky as the what the work experience because you can speak to the courses and the skills you're learning yep. as if they are a job you're undertaking and so that's why I say when students go into interviews sometimes they'll say you know this project we had to do this and and it almost sounds like the teachers were making you do that and so you, that language has to be completely flipped when you go into an interview or even on your resume to say I chose to do this or I decided and rather than I played with this idea you can say I experimented and so at every point you're just trying to level up that language to show that you were doing this as a choice and not necessarily because it was being prescribed to you by some course
0: yeah that's yeah. actually a really good point to make I do think I've seen a few resumes I know that I was helping there was like a voluntary program mm-hmm. that I was working on where I was working with students looking at resumes and it's definitely something I noticed how much the language needs to change on a lot of people's mm-hmm. resumes and yeah I think, you know, they've got the right things written down in terms of what their experience is, but it's a way of crafting, you know, how yeah. to how to put that to somebody else that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a clue what you've been up to, but doing it in a way that makes sense for somebody in the fashion industry reading it.
1: Yeah, actually LinkedIn's great for that because basically mm. people's entire resumes are written on their LinkedIn pages. And yeah. so you can look at the language that senior designers are using and and rehash it. And I always think just... I'm not saying exaggerate, but push the limits of what you can absolutely say about the positions and the courses you've done. Like once you get into that interview, that's when they're going to fall in love with you. That's where they're going to see, you know, that you really are what you were talking about and that you have all this potential as well. I think your resume has to be the absolute, absolute extremes of everything you did, the best, best parts of every internship. Even if I think at one internship, Alexander Wang, I only did like one bit of Creative draping, but it definitely took up a whole sentence on my resume. You know, so that the next place I could talk to it, you might only have thirty minutes in in an interview, and so that's the other thing is I was putting myself up for so many internships and interviews that it was just practice. It was practice talking about myself. It was a practice flipping through my book and seeing which page people most gravitated towards, and like, okay, next time I'm going to talk about that image better. Or people would ask me, oh did you sketch that or is that your photo and so if it's not then you're like oh okay noted I need to make sure that that is my you know photo or my drape that I did oh, and not necessarily something I found on Pinterest so I think I just got really good at reading people yeah and like seeing where they were um, they most interested mm. yeah and just trying to make it a conversation every single time and, and make it anecdotal and you know they love to hear about the you know trips that you went on or the museums that you went to visit or the the music that it was inspired by or the museum Mm. it's not necessarily the hard skills when you're in the interview that they're looking for sometimes they're just looking to see that they're going to get along with you on their everyday basis and that you're going to be a nice co-worker
0: yeah I agree and I also think harping back to the the resume portion of it as well I remember when I was first starting out, you know, I did a little bit of what you were saying earlier about working, helping out a fashion show. So I did a lot of like backstage work during London Fashion Week when I was at uni. And I made sure I included that on my resume because, yeah. you know, I was at that stage, didn't have a ton of stuff. I obviously put for me, I put all my retail background on there mm-hmm, I put that mm-hmm. I worked at the bridal shop for however it was six plus years at that point. I'd put that I worked at all these other retail stores and mm-hmm. I put that I dressed the models for, you know, such and such a show. There was one repeat show that I did every year for a few years that shows for example yeah. that, you know, they liked you, you did a good enough job that they wanted you to come back each time, each season. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to put those things on because especially when you're starting out, they're all it's all still relevant information. So even if you think you dressing a model backstage isn't worthy of putting on a resume, it absolutely is at that early Mm -hmm. stage of your career. I mean, not so much... I definitely don't oh, yeah. have that on my resume now, put it that way, but <laughs> I did when I first started.
1: <laughs> and I mean, sometimes you can create these opportunities for yourself, like, you know, doing your own fashion shows or or pop-up events. Like if you go to like salons or like even small boutiques, like sometimes they need reasons to get people in the door. So if they've got like a young designer with just a small rack of clothing and you're going to entertain their customers, it, it might just be a really nice experience for you for them and then it looks great on your resume to say that you organized this whole pop-up because someone's going to read that and understand all of the things you had to do to pull that together that you had to communicate with the, the boutique that you had to show up on time that you had to you know talk to customers and and be that sort of face to the company and so I think just try to sort of think about how you can create things in your area with your community it doesn't have to be super big and fancy and go to places like new york and london you can definitely find opportunities more local um and yeah put them on your resume don't don't think that anything is too little or unknown to be worthy of it
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's all been such amazing advice as well. And so before we (laughs) conclude, give a chance to talk about made a little bit more. So for anyone who's listening that might be interested in furthering their fashion skills, I'd love to know what courses and classes you currently have running at made and if you have any online options. For anyone mm-hmm. that's maybe not in the Philadelphia area where you're based.
1: Yeah. So we start with teenagers at uh, 13 to 17 years old. And we have online and in-person clubs and a summer, summer camp. So for people really just starting Ooh, out. Oh, I didn't know you had a summer, summer camp. Oh, well, the summer camp is so much fun. It's two weeks and at the end. They finish with a photo shoot and pizza party. And it's just oh, the my best. Goodness. I They've wish I had done that impact. at that age. <laughs> I know. I know, it's the best fun. And then we have in-person classes in sewing, pattern making, classes in couture and tailoring. And those happen all the time and you can just take them whenever you want. And then we have in the same fashion, the online classes in fashion illustration, Photoshop, digital pattern making and Adobe Illustrator. I have record the Photoshop and Illustrator courses. So you'll hear my voice again. <laughs> and those you can take kind of every... Every season, we're going to be launching a a new round of those soon. And then our biggest courses that we run for the people that are really gung-ho about doing this are jumpstart and the design development program so if you want to be in person and be taking classes and sewing and pattern making but also take some things online the design development programs for you and we have a deadline coming up of March 13th to apply Ooh, and not then, long now then <laughs> I know it's really coming up close so that's to join us in the fall and then the one that you can take wherever you want um, which is geared towards launching your own fashion business that Emma is featured in mm-hmm. is jumpstart jumpstart and so that's a year-long program all online 10 modules taking you from the very beginning of inspiration for a collection all the way through to production marketing doing a photo shoot and a runway show and that's for people wherever you are just to kind of do it in a more entrepreneurial fashion with those check-in monthly online chats with rachel and yeah, they, that's kind of the full spectrum. There's probably going to be more in the works. But
0: um <laughs> don't know how much more you can fit in. That sounds I know, incredible. It really <laughs>
1: <is>. <laughs> but it, it's just the best place to sort of find something that fits your budget. That is a little bit more fun and, and less kind of serious and scary than, than the fashion schools that, you know, maybe you and I went to. I think that's what we've been trying to create is kind of the friendly space where people can come, learn, hang out. And and just generally kind of pick and choose what they want to do, and not necessarily get into loads and loads of student debt, which is really nice, <laughs>
0: which you know is extremely important right now because I think yeah. you know harping back to when we went to college, I think it was a hell of a lot cheaper than it is now. I know in the UK it's still cheaper there than it is in the US. Mm-hmm. The US is astronomically, right? in terms of you know. The, the yearly cost I know the UK obviously prices are going up and other mm-hmm. countries around the world you know prices obviously go up all the time so yeah. I think it's I think it's really amazing to have an option for somebody to mm-hmm. at least dip their toe in if they're if they're not sure if it's for them I know I went through that when I first started going like when yeah. I first thought about going to uni I questioned whether I needed to go. My parents questioned whether yeah. I needed to go. They oh, were, do completely. you really need to go for fashion? Yeah, I just was like, no, nope, I absolutely need to go. <laughs> because <laughs> it was the done thing. Everyone was going to university yeah. and I just sort of followed the crowd. And I had a great time. I think it was wonderful. But I can tell you firsthand, I actually learned way more through my internships. Exactly. And through just being on the job than I ever did at university. Yeah. And it depends what I- course you do as well. A lot of people, I know friends that have gone to like Parsons and, you know, all of those and said it's been incredible and really boosted, you know, their opportunities in their career. But Similarly, I know other people have gone to uni and didn't feel yeah. like it helped them that much.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have that sort of privilege and opportunity to go to university, it, it's a great step. And, and it really does accelerate things for you. And it's a wonderful all round experience and environment to be in. But I know for a lot of people, in fact, most people, it's not necessarily an option. I think exactly. it's really amazing that we're in this time now where not only there are options for people to just try the career they've always wanted to do without necessarily doing a degree, but also that there are employers that aren't necessarily looking for a degree on the resume anymore to hire. and, And they're looking for the skills and the portfolio and they understand now why they need to broaden their horizons. Because also, you know, a lot of companies are coming under fire for not being inclusive enough, for not serving their customers enough. And it's because they don't have those people on the design teams and so they really are having to look outside of the four-year degrees to find people with more of a worldly you know experience and and opinions on you know maybe it is like size inclusivity and and there's a lot of reasons why they shouldn't necessarily be looking for a four-year degree for that like they should be looking at maybe what you're making and creating and putting out there in social media and saying about the industry like that can be just as valuable
0: Yep, I agree. And I think that's the perfect way to conclude this episode. So thank you so much for joining me today, Robin. I really appreciate you taking the time to pass on your wisdom for anyone that's looking to get into the fashion industry without a degree.
1: Thank you, Emma.
0: Thank you to Robin for being such an amazing guest on this episode and providing us with so much insight and knowledge. There is a lot of useful information to digest, but don't fret, we will be posting a summary on our website soon for you to refer back to. Before we go, I wanted to leave you with this last dose of motivation. It's worth noting that some of the greatest designers in the fashion industry did not study fashion at college. The late Virgil Abloh being one of them, he studied civil engineering and had a master's in architecture. Eventually, he started all over again as an intern at Fendi in order to pursue his dream of getting into the fashion industry. So if you dream of getting into the fashion industry, when there's a will, there's a way. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please don't hesitate to get in touch via social media via the handle at fashionandthefree on Instagram and TikTok, and you can check out the website fashionandthefree.com. If you're interested in learning more about Robin and Made Institute, as well as all the resources we mentioned, all the links will be in the description for you to check out. And finally, before we conclude, I wanted to mention that in honour of MAID Institute's 10-year anniversary, they will be putting on a fashion show fundraiser this fall to enable them to sponsor 10 full tuition grants for students to take their programme. So if you're in the Philadelphia area, please keep your eyes peeled for that event later this year. Don't forget to like and follow the podcast, and if you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a five-star rating and review, and I'll see you on the next episode.